Hello, people of Earth, and hello, people of Largo. Welcome John, to... John, 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 John. Um, yeah. What uh, is it? You're, you're interrupting me, man. No, I'm just, I, I, think, I think I got some I got some bad news, man. Uh, I know like, I, I know we, we rented out this whole theater, and we got the whole crowd here for the live show, but uh, t- it turns out like, it's, it's Die Hard Minute again. Like, it's not... Again. It's not. It's. It's not. How did this get made? I know we had like everyone here watch the film. We're gonna. Oh, gonna riff on and all oh, that. Geez. But no, we're no, letting all these people down. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's. It's. Uh, go home, everybody. Go home. Go. Get. Get out. Go on. Get. 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 Right. Screw it. Change the show. <laughs> Greetings and welcome back to yet another exciting episode of Die Hard Minute. Every single day. Movies by Minutes hosts talk about one minute of one of the greatest action movies you're ever going to see, and certainly the highlight of Bruce Willis's life. <laughs> this is John McTiernan's 1988 film, Die Hard. Mm. I'm just getting the uh, the impression that like Bruce Willis has like been listening to that, and he'd be like, "That divorce from uh, Demi Moore was a, was a lot better than Die Hard." Let me tell you, man. But... <laughs> Well, hello everybody. I am John Parker of Batman at 89. Uh, and I am Niall McGowan, also of Batman at 89. Hello, Niall. Hello, John. Yeah, hello. And we are joined by our very special guest. You may know him from his stint on Batman at 89. It's Mr. Kit Flemons. Hello. I just follow you two. Here I am. <laughs> you follow us around. You're like a dog. You're a dog. <laughs> Nonsense of a rat, through and through. Oh, I've just got the visual, though, of... Because uh, for people who don't know, Kit is a musician and he plays the accordion. And I've just got the idea of, like, oh, uh, an accordion-playing dog that follows people around. That's got to be, like, a, a Pixar movie or something. This is, like, a genius idea. we got to write this down. Can you, can you follow me around playing the accordion? Like a, like a bard? Oh, oh my God. A, an well, accordion-playing dog called Kit. Oh, <laughs> logistics the the anatomy of a dog and strapping an accordion on and trying to open and close the bellows with its paws it doesn't even have fingers or opposable thumbs i'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure you've thought this through yeah but like the whole universe of cars doesn't make any sense <laughs> like how did they build everything they're cars yeah let, so it's let's like, get into <laughs> that movie yeah it's just like the logistics uh, of these things is like, no, that they got three films out of that. So come yes. on, we can, we can do this. Screw Die Hard Minute. Let's just impromptu Cars Minute. <laughs> well, as much as I'd like to get stuck into cars and poke holes in that damn thing. I know you like we to get stuck here. in the cars, John. Uh, well, yeah. we are here for Minute 23 of Die Hard, one of our favorites, our very favorites. The minute starts with some furious chainsaw action, and it ends with Professor Snape preparing to put his plan into action. It's really heating up. <laughs> I feel like we're, uh, we're stepping on the heels or on the toes of uh, Gary Roby and, the, and, the, and his, his crew. For, uh... God damn it, screw you, Gary. <laughs> I said, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure he's a lovely man. I've I'm, never... I'm for everything I've seen of him, he seems like the nicest guy in the world. So it's like, oh. we're going to have to edit that out now. <laughs> but... <laughs> but yes, we are, we are back with the terrorists now as... Uh, I'm just going to call him Mr. Huge Blonde Man, because I think that's what I've called him before. Struts his funky stuff down the corridor and arrives with his uh, geeky companion. Mm. Mm. This is, uh, yeah, again, Carl and Tony. Yes. We see Carl strutting down this corridor, singing to himself. I'm just Mm. like, did either of you guys 
try to pick up on what he was what are you singing to himself at all? I didn't, but they are both from a dancing career. Yeah. In fact, John, I think you'd you're going to enjoy the uh, frequent Soviet references or links in this this minute. Oh, I know a little bit, but uh, go go ahead. You probably have more than me. They're not a huge deal, but both of these um, both of these terrorists, well, both of these terrorists are dancers, but Alexander Godunov, um, the big blonde, dangerous one, caused an international incident by defecting from the Soviet Union. Oh, I remember the quote because he says it wasn't good enough for him. Oh, <laughs> zinger. Uh, He's had a mis- well, he had a miserable life from the sounds of things. Um, his wife returned to the Union because she felt too Russian to live in the US. He became typecast as either an evil terrorist or a ballet dancer, which is... Uh, okay, very different thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess he, uh, he wasn't Russian to take those roles on. <laughs> oh... I now want a movie about a terrorist ballet dancer. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I'm sure it probably exists. Terrorist ballet dancer, sidekicks, an accordion playing dog. We're, we are making gold. They continue making diehard films. They'll, they'll need these ideas sooner or later. <laughs> well, there is another one coming. Mm. So, you know, they, these could very well be the villain. <laughs> he was... He was betrayed by... Well, he got rave reviews for his lead in Swan Lake and things like that. I think that was actually a bit earlier when he was with uh, in in the Soviet Union. But um, he was betrayed by his best friend, kicked out of the American ballet dancer, and claims he was thrown away like potato peel, and later died of hepatitis related to alcoholism. Ooh. Oh, so oh, if, that's depressing. Yeah, now. if you wanted a yeah a tragic story, there's a he's the real star of that. Mm. Show, yeah, yeah. Oh God, now I'm on a downer. Jeez, <laughs> Can, let's just wrap up the show. Yeah, I mean, I... poor Carl. It kind of makes you feel bad though, because it's like we all know him. It's like, oh yeah, it's Carl, because like, oh, he's a, he's a, he's not the most likable character in this film because he's such an angry, intense, psychotic. Although we've had seen him in Witness with Harrison Ford, where he's uh he's one of the Amish community. He's quite likable there. Although I'm sure previous hosts have probably mentioned him in Witness because it's like. If you know the guy's face, it's like, oh, that and Witness. And it's like, well, it's Witness and Die Hard. Although I used to always think, before I actually had to go and check it, that he was in Ghostbusters. I thought he was, uh, you know, the, the stiff, that the Venkman, uh. Uh, the, you know, the guy was standing sniffing the stuff while Venkman's trying to talk to Dana outside the, the big fountain thing. And uh, now like, I remember being like, genuinely shocked. You know, it wasn't looking it up for this but it was a couple of years back but then i always assumed it was him and then found out like no it's not it's just that's a completely unrelated <laughs> person but you're just outing yourself as a fool yeah. that's just oh, what are you doing on this show yeah, but just what i ask myself every minute that we're here <laughs> and i'm sure the audience is as well <laughs> well i i did look up um something about the character of tony as I said, he was a, he was a dancer. He he is played by. And I'm going to try and pronounce this. I apologize in advance. Andreas Wisniewski, Wisniewski. I'm not sure on the pronunciation. I apologize again. But he's been in the James Bond movie, The Living Daylights. He has also been in two Mission Impossible films. I think they're different characters, 
But one source says one thing, and another source seems to suggest that it's a callback. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. I haven't seen the Mission Impossible movies in quite a while. They are due a rewatch for me, especially with the Mission Impossible Minute. It's called Minute Impossible coming out. And um, oh, I was going to call him Tony. Andreas is also a Zen Buddhist. He mm. also, if we're talking about him playing uh, the same characters, although. This is a lie about the same character. <laughs> he does actually play a soldier in both Bananarama's Venus as pretty much the lead supporting role. The lead soldier? Uh, he's wearing an awfully frilly shirt for a soldier, but maybe <laughs> if you know you like your soldiers that way. It was a different um, time. It was a different time. Damn, they had better, better soldiers back then. And if we're talking about impeccably dressed soldiers, he is also an officer in Elton John's Nikita music video, playing a border <laughs> oh. guard who, in a papers please kind of way, rejects Elton John's attempt to uh, get into the East. Ah, now I just want to pay, play papers please and imagine that I am in that video. Rejecting Elton John. Mm. <laughs> I have nothing against Elton John. I quite like, uh, you know, uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Mm. I just remember... A couple of years back, was it there was something with Elton John where he had a falling out with the? There's a big, you know, one of the things that's in the scandal papers for like a week, where I remember he, he was there was footage of him erupting on some kind of person, like was it the person at the post office or something like that, where he's like, <laughs> so I remember he's just standing going, "You rude vile pig." And like I remember, he keeps saying "rude, vile pig" over and over. It's just like now it's kind of like, oh, he's getting turned away by you know Tony from Die Hard. It's like maybe it's just, oh, it's becoming all too real for him now. <laughs> so he went to the fast track application lane. <laughs> I mean, Carl here, he revs up a damn chainsaw, yeah, just out of nowhere, and starts slicing all of these cables up. Mm. Like, cause I, I never, when I was a kid. I never really understood his impatience. Yeah. Because, I mean, Tony's working on it. Give mm. him a second, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is like an indication of establishing the difference between Carl and, you know, not just Tony, but like uh, later on we see with like hands and stuff is that Carl is, he's a hothead. And like, this is like a, you know, a loose cannon at one point because, he, you know, he will tear after McLean later on. Plays by his own rules. Yeah, even though he's told not to, and then he just turns off the communicator thing with Hans and just does whatever he wants. But this is like, this is the kind of thing because he seems to be like the the right hand man. But what he's doing here now is full on endangering what they're doing because yeah, presu- yeah. presumably, like what what Tony's doing is that he's trying to you know d- uh, disable these you know I'm assuming it's the alarms or something. So he's got the crocodile clips, hasn't he? Connected to a box of various lights so he's obviously routing whatever wire he's clipping through his magic box of lights i guess so it continues to send out a signal or something that would prevent an alarm from tripping yeah 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 and then so yeah with carl just coming in and then just like cutting through all these things and him going no no you're nine 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 and then trying desperately the thing is if if tony like he does in the split in the nick of time he just finishes what he's doing he if has, he hadn't, then the alarms would have gone off and the whole plan would have been completely botched and, you know, Hans, Hans would have been furious with Carl because it would have been like, why didn't you just wait for him to do that? Like, it's... How much do we trust Tony's electrical engineering? I mean, I'm not a 
by any means skilled at wiring, but those crocodile clips are attached to the plastic insulation. <laughs> oh, um, well spotted. So, you know, while we're getting into magical xylophones, uh, I think that's, a, that's my first blooper. <laughs> so he's not, yeah, who knows? He could just be making this up as he goes along. <laughs> accidentally tagged along with a terrorist group. Like he's Carl's like loser younger brother who can't do anything. And like he just really wants to be involved. <laughs> it's just like like their parents were like, Carl, bring your brother along to the, to the Nakatomi. And he's like, all right. And then him and Hans were just like, just give him something to do and make him pretend like he's important. And then like Aww. he's just told him to go and, oh, you're disabling the alarms. Yeah, you told him to do, to do that. Meanwhile, in the other room, Theo has already taken out the alarms. And then Carl's like, all right, the hell with it. And he goes and chainsaws the thing. It's like, you just, yeah, just, you're done. You're done, okay? <laughs> and then <laughs> it's like, you've, you've, you've served no use here. But he's just like, he, he's, he's the kind of, you know, asshole old, older brother who's, just, you know, he's very resentful of the fact that the kid brother's there. So he doesn't even mind kind of telling him, you're not doing anything. You're useless, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then they can't. I love this idea of a little family drama going on. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it more poignant later on when, spoiler, <laughs> no, when, don't ruin it. When uh, something <laughs> happens to Tony that upsets Carl no. to a great deal. But, You're uh, upsetting me again. We're not. Oh, jeez. It could be all the whole thing. time. He wasn't even supposed to be here, Hans. He doesn't even do anything. <laughs> he knew the risks. <laughs> How many more cliches can we fit in before this uh, episode's Well, up? I mean, even just uh, talking about cliche, just in terms of like the appearance of these two, though, because it, it's real firm indication of their personality types, where the Carl's got oh, yeah. his long unruly hair and Tony's got the, the specs and the little side comb haircut going just looks very nerdy I mean obviously he's the supposed to be the tech guy and uh Carl's the rambunctious you know rebel without a cause type uh just does what he wants and it's like a... yeah they are, they are kind of like the two stereotypical German looks mm. <laughs> there's the tough guy and the the little geek mm. yeah pretty much and it's like both doing their jobs very well there so do you have anything else there, Kit? Or? But I have spent far too long looking up whether a chainsaw can cut through metal pipes. Oh, hit, hit uh, us with that. You, you're thinking outside the box. The consensus seems to be no. What? Uh, it has, oh. Apparently, it's very risky to even encounter a nail if you're chainsawing anything, unless you've got a specially designed chainsaw. And yeah. someone else suggests, although these are just the hoi ploy at chainsaw forums, but, um, Chainsaw forums. Yeah, nothing, Please not, tell me they exist. Of course they exist. They've, they've all got pictures of Ash <laughs> and Evil Dead as their. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Of course but, um, they do. A, a chainsaw. Sorry to offend our listeners who are members of Chainsaw forums. <laughs> it um, would some person thinks it would shoot shards of fragmented metal straight back at the user. Oh. I can imagine that being true because they're a lot more fragile than movies make them out to be. Yeah. But you, you if, can't just go chainsawing. Next, they'll be chainsawing brick. If you have a, a carbide chainsaw blade, apparently that's the thing. Maybe if he's coming, if he's come pre- prepared, thinking, you know, uh, my brother's going to be feffing about with those wires. I'm going to have to chainsaw through them to save some time. Maybe he's packed his special wire cutting metal carbide bladed chainsaw. Well, that sounds but crazy at first, but think about it, right? Why has he got the chainsaw? Otherwise. What in, purpose does this serve in their plan? Which case he's a lot less impulsive than he's coming across. He's obviously yeah, yeah. This all ties right back into 
just Tony's not doing anything there. He's just been he's just been given busy work, and then Carl's coming. It's like right, I've got the chainsaw that actually does the job, and like now, oh, this kid, all right, whatever, and he just walks off without even giving him the time of day. It's just like oh, screw you, kid, you know. But hey, plus he he, he does the one well, of the ultimate sins of just leaves the chainsaw lying after him as well. Doesn't even clean it up. Just leaves it there. The sparks don't start until he gets to the wires, so maybe it's plastic. Oh, could be, could be. Mm, could be. There's also advice against cutting through wires with a chainsaw. There's a lot of people talking about that as well. They, they, if people on chainsaw forums have nothing to talk about except <laughs> what can my chainsaw cut through? Um, <laughs> which I suppose, you know, if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, well, that's a, the hammer forums, but <laughs> it's... Uh, it, I don't know about the, if the wires are under tension, then it's easier to cut through, of course. But uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure that that chainsaw could hack a load of phone oh. wires. I... Are you saying that this is staged? I'm I'm saying I had enough free time to look on chainsaw forums, but not quite enough to actually sign up and delve <laughs> down that rabbit hole. I mean, you've only made. 14 or 15 posts. Mm. I mean, that's that's fine. It's like the next time we go to Kit's house, he'll just be like showing us this, oh, I bought this new chainsaw. <laughs> All these guys were recommending it to me. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, what harm going to do? And look, it can cut through this chair. <laughs> Everything I've got is neatly cut in half. <laughs> How could you resist? Oh, geez. But I thought here... I mean, I might be wrong. I might be thinking of uh, an earlier minute. I thought he was uh, cutting the communications, like literally physically cutting them off. Mm. Whereas Tony was trying to like reroute them. Yeah. And he's just gone, screw it. We would assume alarms because of the sheer panic of what he's doing. Unless something cuts the phone wires, an alarm is set as well. But because of the the juxtaposition of we go from this and then cuts to... McLean and Argyle's phone call has been cut off. They're kind of like, whoa, whoa. So that would indicate that it's the, it could be that within those towers, there's phone lines and there's an alarm system. It's just all yeah, bunched in connected. together or whatever. So, uh, I imagine if your communications are caught, you might have an alarm, some kind of alarm it's at least. It's a very secure building. They've got lots of, well, they've got security cameras everywhere, <laughs> yet they're able to just walk in and shoot the, person on the front desk and the only security guard was an old man who they both flashbanged and shot but uh <laughs> flashbangs easy it's the only time i've ever heard the it's not since playing the die hard game have i actually heard the <laughs> oh. term flashbang at some... oh no you, you don't play enough enough games here niall clearly you, you need to get on the counter-strike <laughs> cs go which is pretty yeah that's terrorists versus police it's you know, not a hundred miles away from a diehard. So basically what I'm saying is, listeners, make a diehard mod and I will be the first to contribute. I'd be shocked if there wasn't one already. It seems like a thing that would have been... Yeah, yeah if you're going to do... Yeah, but for some reason I would assume someone would have done that already. Are you saying that there needs to be a collaborative effort to insert a middle-aged white man into a computer game. <laughs> I don't think that's very difficult. There's none of them. What are you talking about? <laughs> the middle age. He's only 34. <laughs> Kit, come oh, on. Yeah, he is. It's not, it's not current, is it, of course? <laughs> and plus, Kit, yes, I know. I know he's only 34. Is he only we 34? All, yes, we are all fast I, approaching that God, age what, as of recording. I think it's just that he's muscly and wearing a string vest. I don't, I don't look nearly that macho, I think. <laughs> well, we brought this up with, with Ricky. I think Ricky said, you know, he's a man. Yeah. 
And uh, I, I don't feel like I'm, no, I'm 31. No, not at all. No. <laughs> when I wear my vest, I don't look like that. I don't feel it. <laughs> well, speaking of that, we see Brucey in his sweet vest. Or, you know, for our American listeners, wife beater, a term I cannot say. <laughs> I don't think they, it's, I think it's the formal term over there is to call it a wife beater. I think that's a nickname. <laughs> they do. They do. It's, it's not called a vest. They, a waistcoat is a vest. So they actually, the, the actual, the actual term for the, for what we call a vest is a wife beater over there. It's not just, like, that's not just the term they've given it because... I think so. That seems... Let me let me clarify. That seems really let messed me up, man. Like, it's like someone's invented yes, this undershirt it and it's like, what's it called? A wife beater. It's, just... it's horrible, isn't it? Exactly my point. Yeah. No, it is. It's it's official. It's um, a type of sleeveless shirt. Uh, in the US, Wikipedia is the pejorative nickname wife beater. It's or an A-shirt. An athletic I've never shirt. heard anyone Citation say that, needed. <laughs> so obviously, the, uh, the Wife Beater Association of America are trying to improve their image um, and altering Wikipedia without, right. without proper referencing. I don't want to call America to task, but come on. Even if it's a nickname, guys, you've got to change this. It's not, it's not appropriate, is it? Come on. At least we have a nice term, a vest. A vest. And it's a lovely vest. We get Carl here strutting majestically away from his job. As as I said there, leaving the chainsaw. I wonder, like, at the end of the... If the entire thing had gone to plan and they escaped and whatnot, would there have been a moment there he's like, oh, God, I left that chain that saw there. That probably has, like, fingerprints all over it and stuff. <laughs> and a very expensive carbide blade. Yeah, it's just like, oh, my God. The, the cons like, God, you idiot. But the, the guys on the forum are going to kill me. <laughs> Tell you what, I'm very upset that he leaves that chainsaw there, but it never comes back as a weapon. Yeah, that's true. I suppose that you don't get this far down into the. This is this is like basement level, isn't it? So I guess. Yeah, but isn't this like you know a Chekhov's gun kind of thing? Like they've established this chainsaw. Yeah. yeah. Where's the chainsaw? Maybe they cut it. I, I couldn't find anything on on that. Um, but obviously, I don't have access to full research materials like on our own show. Surely, very impractical weapons, though. Even a that zombie survival guide book that came out advised against using a chainsaw in any real situation it looks cool on film let's be honest it it brings to mind for me though uh immediately gremlins when like uh stripes trying to kill billy with the chainsaw and he's just kind of fending him off with a baseball bat and then of course he gets knocked over and then because of the because of stripes size and the the size of the chainsaw and its power he goes spinning off with it which was discussed in great length in the Mogwai Minute, one of our uh, one of our brethren movies by minute podcasts. So there's a shout out to those yeah. guys. Woo! Yeah. Although I always think of the game Doom when it comes to a chainsaw weapon, because that was always that was always hyped as the big the big weapon of the game, other than the BFG. But I think as a kid, I only ever used the chainsaw like twice, and was like, oh, it's boring. Yeah, I only <laughs> ever heard it through legend at parents at Fred's houses, my. Uh parents Aww. i think if, if they'd heard i was playing a game where you got to cut demons up with a chainsaw i'd have been in yeah, they're demons trouble that's <laughs> perfectly okay then yeah yeah my dad bought me doom ah. he, he just uh, came home one day i've got this new game for you here you go <laughs> just threw me like a pirated copy <laughs> on floppies so, yeah, yeah here at um, the Die Hard Minute podcast, we do not advocate piracy in any of its forms. <laughs> this was a long time ago when nobody thought twice about copying this stuff. And, you know, shareware was all the rage. The nation was sweeped by shareware. 
But, uh, <laughs> anywho. Yes, we got to move on, um, you know, back to the minutes. Uh, yeah. I was saying, though, at the beginning, like, has anyone got any thoughts on... Because Carl, again, once again, he's he's singing to himself as he walks off. I'm just wondering, what's he singing? Like, it's... Cause it was, I would love it if he was singing, like, Skeletons, like the Stevie Wonder song that Argyle's listening to. You just hear him go off and just like... <laughs> it would been a nice little jump back to, <laughs> to like it's the same point in the song and everything that would have been great but I really wish it was Rock Me Amadeus nothing from a Swan Lake is it oh uh, he joined oh. the Bolshoi in 1971 and got rave reviews for Swan Lake Giselle and other works very well could be even winning a gold medal for his dancing it wouldn't surprise me if like the, someone had applied a backstory to Carl where he was a ballet dancer who was disgraced in some way. Like it would make, it would be one of those like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah, like if, I, I can imagine him doing that. We we see Argyle again for a brief second, uh, and I'm only bringing it up because I forgot to mention something when you saw him before. If you put the the previous bit from a couple of seconds ago with with this shot of him now, I always thought he seems a bit too freaked out that the phone has cut out. Because, I mean, he doesn't know it's terrorists. Yeah. Phones aren't exactly the most reliable thing. Could just be a power problem. Plus, he's on a damn car phone. Like, so why is he so freaked out? He does eventually come to terms with it here and just go, oh, okay. <laughs> like, but, I mean, if the phone cuts out, I just go, well, you know, there could be 50 problems with this thing. Who mm, cares? Mm. I guess because he's... What's Argyle's situation, though? Is he on the clock? Is he, like, is he a meter running? Because it seems a bit weird that it's just like... You'd assume he'd need to get that limo back to wherever, yeah. you know, whatever the agency was that sent it out. <laughs> you think now he's like, no, I'm just going to rock, rock it down here. So maybe he's like worried. It's like, oh, if McLean can't get in touch with me. I could be stuck here for hours, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> he's definitely getting like money by the minute. McLean said earlier some, to his wife something about it's still my surname when you use the card, mm-hmm. suggesting he's the rich one. But he's a New York City cop and she's a. Whatever. Oh yeah, good point. Hang on, she surely has a higher paid. Oh no, maybe it could just be like it's a little bit of pettiness in that, like it's her card, but because she's a McLean, then it's it's, yeah. it's he's like, well, yeah, it's still my name, so yeah. like, that kind of. But it could be the so he is genuinely very emasculated in the fact that like, oh, she's got way more money than me. So <laughs> this is the one the one thing I've got on her is that that it's my name on the card. But there is. Brief, this might just be my habit of spotting patterns wherever and everything I look at. But just before we have this scene in the car, we have um, John McLean on the phone just for a second as it cuts out. And I can't help noticing that the wallpaper in the background just looks like his chest hair to me. <laughs> I, I just can't throw that image off that the walls are covered in Bruce Willis's chest hair. <laughs> that. That is disturbing and also brilliant. Yeah, I didn't want it in my mind alone. I had to. <laughs> you had to. Inf- You've planted the seed. You had to infect everyone who listens to this now. Like yeah. everyone's going to be sitting going like, "Oh yeah, yeah." So <laughs> that is his chest there. That's really weird. What's going on there? <laughs> well, maybe he's been having a bit of a trim, and you know, he he just sticks it on the wall when he's done. <laughs> maybe he's like you know one of those people who cuts the toenails and just lets it go on the floor. He yeah. actually glues it to the wall so you can. A nice. Yeah, he licks it, <laughs> slaps it on the wall. Isn't that actually a bit how the aliens are supposed to make their, like, I don't say nests, whatever you call them. Then they secrete, like, a fluid and yeah. stick it mm. to the walls. 
He's trying to emulate that through the medium of chest hair in someone else's yeah. bathroom. That's exactly what he's guest. doing. <laughs> no wonder the divorce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's all getting explained for us now. It could be amazing, though. Like, there was a deleted scene of Holly walking in, but like, oh my God, John, you're not starting on this room now as well, have you? It's, it's, like, it's my room while I'm here. My name's on the card. <laughs> Well, we uh, we cut now again. Oh, it's fast this minute to the whole terrorist gang as they are riding the elevator, uh, obviously with a purpose, and they're on their way up to party. This uh, brings me to my second, well, not Soviet reference in this case, but a uh, far left. Um, the gun they are using appears to be an MP5. Um, mm. Heckler and Koch. Uh, I thought they were MP5s because video games have, video uh, games have pointed me, me in that direction. Yep. It's, all my good knowledge comes from video games. Uh, hopefully you've got some American listeners who can inform us a bit more. But um, it was used, shouldn't too long researching this gun, by law enforcement. But it's also featured on the logo for the Red Army Faction, a.k.a. the Beta-Meinhof group. Oh, I have a, um, the Joe Strummer... Well, as worn by Joe Strummer T-shirt with with that on, ah. I didn't realize that was the same oh, gun. The same <laughs> gun, and this this group when they reveal, well, they they speak some of their politics later on. I won't spoil it. Um, oh, sound kind of lefty. Yeah, but, um, but it's a rule. Yeah, that's the same. Uh, it's a yeah. That kind of gets into something I was going to bring up a little, get a couple of seconds when uh, when we get into something else. But uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, I'll let you. Um, but yeah, it's it's that that gun used by used by that gr- uh, that group. Well, that make that makes sense then. That because that's their whole image is that you know that's what they're trying to present to the world that they are that type of group. But as you will discover, of course, throughout these minutes, they have another. Yeah, one. yeah. The terrorist here we get kind of focus on of pulling out the gun is Franco, which is uh, obviously a name that evokes uh, several. Sort of, right. of, of several thoughts because everyone's favorite <laughs> right. James Franco, right? But, um, oh, oh, yes, that's what you I, I thought you were going a more political, <laughs> uh, historical kind of yeah, route. That's what I was trying to do. <laughs> this scene, as well, is it Franco in the blue jumper? Is that his name? Well, there's no one in front of him except for short guy with long hair. And when the doors open, there is guy in a huge red jumper <laughs> big conspicuous red jumper who was nowhere visible previously <laughs> and it's quite hard to hide in a room full of leather jacketed people if you're wearing a red you're, yeah you're, the, the, and it's it's astonishingly bright it's, red it's, it's all bold he's going out with his friends and they're wearing leather jackets and his grandmother says now you've got to wear your red it's cold out there you'll catch your death here's this <laughs> jumper i knitted you and turned up everyone else just Going there. It could be though, Kit, that it's cool jackets. It's actually a ghost. It's a ghost terrorist Ooh. just looking to get involved in what's going down. The mystery of the diehard ghost. <laughs> I got like not much on the the, the the fella who plays Franco because he's just not had much of a career, frankly. Like he's uh frankly, yeah, screw you, Franco. He's played by Bruno Doyon, uh, who was in two episodes of Crossings. Never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> Le Parc des Braves. Never heard of it. Uh, and The Morning Man. <laughs> never heard of it. So, uh, and that's... <laughs> well, he's probably never heard of Batman in 89. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's... Tony went on to an illustrious 
two episodes in the bill, didn't he? Hey, of course. There's people who listen to Batman at 89, I don't know. Like 90% of the ba- the cast of Batman were in the bill, so... Uh... <laughs> yep. Doctor Who and or the bill. That seems to be the only background for any of the actors. It'd be great though if Tony is just like, he's, I'm in talks to be in Doctor Who now. I want to finish. <laughs> and then I'll be a Batman villain and the, the trifecta will be complete. <laughs> Although tying it back into our show, I am upset that Jack Nicholson was never on the bill. <laughs> Bring it back, you know. It's... I, I, I hope in his Joker uh, incarnation, the London oh, yes. Metropolitan Police have to deal with the Joker. <laughs> our police would crumble. It would be a joke. But to be, to be fair, the Gotham police would kind of crumble as well. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway... Uh... We got we got here now. They step out, you know, into the party and the uh, oh, guns ready. Yeah, yeah, though. important. And we get uh, hearing a bit of you know what's been playing in the party before. Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Not the most uh, fun party music. The thing is, like I was thinking though, it sounds like quite you know it's quite elegant and classy, and I think that's the kind of thing they're trying to evoke or evoke. I want sorry. some Oingo Boingo. <laughs> it's the 80s. It's the Come on. Kind of music you play if you're a executive who wants to appear classy but you don't actually know any anything about music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's such it's the first one you pull out of the library classical music section, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That, that'll do. <laughs> but the thing is, uh why this choice of music? Because this plays like in the end credits and everything. This must, oh, must be a real reason behind it. So like looking into Beethoven's Ninth, it's you know it was more commonly known as Ode to Joy. The kind of the backstory of it is that it was written, you know, under uh, like intense you know p- political strife was happening in Vienna at the time when it premiered, and it's supposed to be more like lyrically because uh, it's taken from the you know the, the poem of the same name. Uh, and it's supposed to be like a call to arms for all of humanity. It's like a real celebration of, of life and all that. But then uh, I found a thing by, like a video by popular philosopher Slavoj Zizek. Who, um, hey! Yeah, and the people don't know who Slavoj Zizek is, and you're like, oh, some philosopher guy. Just look him up, because he's amazing. Not just for, like, he's a fantastic thinker and like, his ideas are amazing, but he himself is a character. Because he's this kind of really unkempt, over, overweight, middle-aged guy, and he's constantly gest- you know, gesticulating with his hands, and he kind of talks like this the whole time. And it's like, really, <laughs> he's very, very animated. You just can't take your eyes off him, and he's just so enthralling to watch. But uh, he made the whole point of, like, oh, it's the, uh, the irony of the, the Ninth Symphony, is that, like, it's... Because it's always used... It's supposed to be this little thing about like oh humanity prevailing and the, the joys of life and all this sort of thing, but it's actually like most people now is like oh this was used by like it was played on Hitler's birthday. The Nazis loved oh, yeah. they loved Beethoven's Ninth, and then apparently other people like other it seems to be like you go throughout history, and like uh, a lot of like dictators and stuff really the key cause is like universal adaptability, but like the Soviet Union used to play it as a communist song. And then when China wouldn't accept anything from the West, they accepted Beethoven's Ninth Symphony because they loved it. And it's like, uh, but then apparently yeah. leftist guerrillas used to use it as their song in Peru as well. So it's like because, so the complete opposite on the spectrum. It is also the anthem of the European Union. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. Which again is that's about as far away as you can get because that's smack bang in the middle. <laughs> and I was thinking next, it could be that it's like you know it's supposed to be the joining of two things that, you know, because of its universal adaptability, was this some kind of indication 
of like, well, you see that this is about this is a film that's about like the everyman helps out the the the, the yuppie capitalists and you know, the the classes have been joined and oh, you know, Hans Gruber is this uh, he's a co- coming in posing as a leftist kind of guerrilla type. But he's actually an ultra capitalist who really loves fancy suits and all he's after is money and all this sort of stuff. And then I kind of realized then when I looked up the actual reason why they used it is because um, it was me looking way too into it because it was something a lot more simple than that. Uh, (laughs) Apparently, it was just that John McTiernan had uh, remembered it from A Clockwork Orange. And he, <laughs> when he went to the people like getting the music sorted, he was this, uh, what's his exact quote here he has about it? This is from the composer Michael Kamen. It's like, I have to give credit where, where credit is due. McTiernan insisted on using Beethoven's Ninth despite my objections. I thought it was sacrilege to use Beethoven in this, in this action movie. I told McTiernan, and like, uh, I'll make mincemeat out of Wagner and Strauss for you, but why Beethoven? And he says, go, oh, because it was in the Clockwork Orange. And then he just said he wanted to evoke a sense of joy in the film. And so he used Ode to Joy. And it's just like, uh, and then it's just like, it's just a reference to, uh, it's just a reference to A Clockwork Orange. And it's like, oh, ah. that's quite simple. <laughs> so that's. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I never would have actually thought of that. Yeah, yeah. In the same regard, it is true, though. If you use this as the Hans Gruber terrorist theme, because it plays most usually when he's there, it is. Like, he is much like Malcolm McDowell's character in A Clockwork Orange, is that, you know, he's a man prone to violence, and but he does have a taste for the most, more refined things in life. And he's. <laughs> He has an appreciation yeah. for art and, and culture and whatnot. So, it's, uh, I never expected to hear that, but yeah, I can see yeah, it. Yeah, so I think that's uh, I, I get it. I get it now. So yeah, fair enough. And then all that stuff I said about Slavos Zizek and all that, forget about that. That that that, that was just me getting way way too into it. So um, <laughs> yeah, and then we get these fellows kind of slinking out of the um, out of the elevator. Yeah, okay. silent and smooth, just like always. Except for the guy in the big red jumper. Yeah. <laughs> Flashing. He might as well have lights on. It's a Christmas party, I suppose. Well, yeah. But I suppose that's the end of the the action for the minute though, but like while we have you hit you while you oh. have you here, Kit. Oh, John, can we at least comment that we get to see Alan Rickman? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't come here for a full minute without getting to at least gaze into Alan Rickman's eyes for the last Second, <laughs> beautiful eyes. Oh, that's fair enough. That's... It, it is like a millisecond there. Oh no, it's one whole second, there you go. I believe. And as Einstein said, one second holding onto a hot pan feels like an eternity, and one second gazing into Alan Rickman's eyes flashes by like nothing. <laughs> oh, it's all you need, though. It's all you need. Mm. Well, we're here, Kit. I'm assuming, like, if you had to say anything about the film in general itself, I'm going to assume. It's going to be a lot of praise for Alan Rickman here now. But, uh, <laughs> You'd be a fool not to I, do that. Uh, I, I'm, the praise for Alan Rickman goes without saying. Um, I've only just, in contrast to my thoughts on Batminute, realized that what I like about Die Hard is the opposite of what I sort of dislike about a lot of modern superhero stuff, in that um, action hit films are prone to being overblown, um, cartoonish nonsense. And of course, what made Die Hard great was that it was actually relatively low key. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, it's one guy, very human. Every man character gets, you know, in a you know, tower block hostage situation. And it's absolutely, you know, 
brilliant for it. Um, and normally, I, I like the the cartoonishly extravagant. Um, I like you know the silly aspects of Batman and superhero man and the you know the superhero universes. But yeah, normally I'm all for things being overblown and slightly camp. But the good thing about this, it's it's quite the opposite, and and somehow. Despite my, despite myself, I, I like that in it. It's... I think the problems come when movies can't pick a, a tone or an approach. That's often more annoying to me. You know, if it's a, a little bit serious and then there's a couple of stupid, silly, over-the-top things thrown in there, that's like more jarring than if it was just crazy from beginning to end. Or how uh, Die Hard has now gone to John McClane riding on top of... Uh, jet plane as it explodes <laughs> into a fireball mm. exactly that's they, not what we like uh, about the character he's not a superhero mm. well like, he is now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have like a like a history at all with, with kit with the film is this uh, a thing you remember from years back or is it more about yeah i'd say the very first time i saw this was in france on the television um an english it was english version it wasn't dubbed Except for because it was a television dub, it was he didn't say uh, "yippee kaye." I'm not allowed to swear in this podcast, I don't think. <laughs> Instead, he said the podcast friendly "yippee kaye" Kimasabe. Oh, um, I was going to do that at the end of the episode. <laughs> oh, it was it was dubbed over, and that was I. I didn't get to see the, you know, the the full glory of the quote until mm. I next saw oh. the film, which with my film watching cycle is once every ten years. So mm. <laughs> I can imagine though, so many people like. You know, people people who would listen to movies by minute podcasts who were just very nitpicky about things, would have, but at the time would have seen that and been like, "He's talking about Roy Rogers. Why is he bringing up like a thing that Tonto says in the Lone Ranger? Like that doesn't make any sense." <laughs> why? Why did they choose Kimosabe? I guess maybe you... they just like, oh, old western. Uh, he said Kimosabe. That could just put that in there. That's fine. <laughs> you know. Did you have anything more to say about a history with the film, and we'll weave it in, or are you done with that? Um. The history of the film is only that it's apart from what I've mentioned is the you know, the ritual Christmas viewing, because in that that debate should have been set a long time ago that Die Hard is a Christmas film. Absolutely, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. When people say that it isn't, I'm just like, well, what? It's Christmas permeates every second of the film. <laughs> like, what's yeah. what more do you need? You know, it's because uh... there's no Santa. <laughs> I guess you get to... You do get a, a lovely ho, ho, ho. The fairy tale of New York was never intended to be a Christmas film, on the other hand. Yeah. I mean, fairy tale, uh, Christmas song, you mean the... Uh... Film, yes, yeah, song, sorry. Despite being set, you know, set at Christmas, apparently it was... Mm. That's what I've heard, yeah. Well, I, I do listen to it all year round. I have the vinyl. I'm there playing it. It's always Christmas in your heart, John. Yeah, I know my brother. My brother's friend is like a DJ in our like our town's local bar, and like on Friday nights, he always have like at the back when it's you know it's during the summer and stuff, and people can go out into the smoking garden and whatnot. He'll be there DJing, and you'll get yeah, you'll just stick on Fairy Tale New York, and it'll be like you know the Fourth of July when the sun's beaming and stuff. It's like no, it's a good song. I'm playing it. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> it's a Christmas. What? what? Christmas is mentioned like once in it. What are you doing? Like. Well, twice, technically. but uh... That just about wraps it up for this exciting minute of Die Hard. Before we go, 
our lovely guest Kit. Do you have anything you would like to promote? Because you are in a band, of course, aren't you? Ah, promotion. Just as I do worst. Our band is uh, Rat Bit Kit. We play something akin to music on accordion, box, and bass. And we we yelp, sing, and squeal our way through our tunes. Uh, We're on Facebook, SoundCloud, and all the rest of it. Uh, Come and listen to us minute by minute. Hey, you should do just minute-long songs and stick to the minute format. That'd be great. You could spread the song out over a whole album, one song. I'd have to do 25 songs in a gig. That would be absolutely awful. I have enough trouble remembering eight. <laughs> That'd be amazing. But yes, do make sure to check out Rapbit Kit. Also on Bandcamp, I've just thought. Check them out. Exciting stuff. Very different, very cool, very unique. And you'll... I mean, you don't have to be into accordions either. It's more punk. It's punk. Uh, it's because I failed at playing guitar, so I play accordion like a guitar. <laughs> and make sure to check us out because you love us so much. We're so lovely. We're cuddly and fluffy. We are available at Batminute89 on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. So find us on all of those. And if you want to tweet to Die Hard Minute, the collective, we are like the Borg, we are a hive mind, then you can tweet at Die Hard Minute. Join the Facebook page. The big mouthful this every time it just throws me. Die hard with a podcast listener's limo. <sighs> or go to the website to diehardminute.com. And if you'd like to catch up with other Movies by Minutes podcasts, you can visit moviesbyminute.com for more information. And join us again, because we will be back tomorrow. Sadly, no kit. But we will have a different guest tomorrow for Minute 24 of Die Hard Minute. Tell me you got that. I got it, I got it. Hit your heart on Channel 5.